بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala we seek blessings upon the Prophet peace be upon him alrighty we're beginning the next subsection or sub sub subsection of of this surah and just to once again lay it all out let's screen on So now let me know you can see the the screen. Excellent. So that we have essentially of Surah 2. I1 is of course Alif Lam Mim. I2 through 20 is models or archetypes of belief and rejection and then within that two through five is the person of taqwa six through seven is the person of kufr and then eight through 16 is the person of nifaq which is what we're about to start and then 17 through 20 are metaphors of belief and rejection. Okay, so for the next class or so, we'll be looking at hypocrisy. <clears throat> and so some initial points about hypocrisy. <clears throat> One, in terms of its seriousness, uh, to give you an idea of how serious hypocrisy is, how serious nifaq is, two stories. One is the story of Hanzala. Hanzala, there's a couple of cool stories with people named Hanzala. This is one of the cool stories. I don't know if cool is the right word. But the uh, Hanzala was walking through the streets of Medina shouting nafaka handala nafaka handala so hanzala is a hypocrite or hanzala has is ruined and abu bakr stops him and, and says to him and i'm paraphrasing of course like what are you saying man you know why are you calling yourself a hypocrite and he says when i am with the prophet peace be upon him i feel like my iman is so high almost like i can touch paradise but when I'm away from him, I feel like my iman goes down. That sense is gone. And Abu Bakr says, I have the same thing. And so let's go ask the Prophet, peace be upon him. So before I finish the story, what I'm drawing your attention to is Abu Bakr was already guaranteed paradise. Abu Bakr is about as super sahaba as a person can get, as good of a Muslim as a person can get. And he was concerned about hypocrisy. Yeah. And so, so then they go to the prophet, peace be upon him, and they explain the situation. The prophet says, peace be upon him, your iman is so high with me because I am the prophet. If your iman stayed, if it remained that high, when you were away from me, angels would come down to shake hands with you while you're still in bed. Boom. 
But again, the point I want to draw your attention to is that even Abu Bakr was concerned about being a hypocrite. Second story is about Omar, also concerned about hypocrisy. So the Prophet, peace be upon him, one night tells Hudhaifa, another companion, see those three guys over there? Over there, they're monophics. They're hypocrites. Don't tell anyone that I told you. Good. Somehow news still traveled. And it reaches Omar. And Omar goes to Hudhaifa and says, did the Prophet point to me? And Hudhaifa says, I can't, I'm not allowed to tell you who, whom the Prophet pointed to. But I can assure you it was not you. <laughs> and so even Omar was concerned about hypocrisy. So the point being, if they, at their stature, were concerned about hypocrisy, we should definitely be concerned about hypocrisy. Second point, there are, or next point, there are a couple types of hypocrisy. One hypocrisy we call nifaq fil aqida. Another is nifaq fil amal. So essentially, hypocrites by creed, hypocrites by deed. The first one are people who are consciously fake. The second are people who are consequently fake. That is not necessarily their intention. The first one, and other examples of this, Apologize for all the yawning. Look, a, a couple examples. Another example of this from the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, is about people who were joining Islam with the intention of leaving Islam. That they would join Islam on Monday with the intention of leaving by Saturday. And then tell everyone, yeah, we tried this. It was good. Some of the teachings are nice, but you don't have to leave your own traditions. Why would someone take this approach? To undermine yes. society. Exactly. To, to undermine the, the work of the prophet, peace be upon him. From their vantage point, they might be preserving the status quo, or they might even see the prophet, peace be upon him, as a renegade. But in reality, it is to undermine the work of the prophet, peace be upon him. In our era, this would be something like an FBI mole. Like we have a running joke that if you go to the masjid and somebody's preaching radicalism, that person is probably an FBI mole, right? It's usually the extremist that's working for the FBI. I mean, to, to literally put in perspective, uh, a student of mine drew my attention to this telegram group that posts like 200 posts a day about things that are happening uh, in Palestine. And then I asked him, okay, you sure this is a Palestinian thing? You sure this is not an Israeli thing, right? Because it's super pretty radical stuff about fighting and all that stuff. And he says, I can neither confirm nor deny. You know, But the point being that that is one type of hypocrite. Someone who knows that they're being fake. They're posing as Muslims. But their intention is to the contrary. That we might be need to be concerned about a little bit of people we might run into, possibly. The real one for us to be concerned about is the second one, nifaq fil amal, for which there are numerous hadith. So, for example, one very famous hadith 
is that there's four signs of a hypocrite. Whichever amount of these you possess is how much of a hypocrite you are. Number one, when they speak, they lie. Number two, when they're entrusted with a secret, they go share the secret. Number three, they break their commitments. They make commitments and then they break them. And number four, when they get emotional, they lose control of their emotions. And so these are some of the signs of, of hypocrites. Good. And so we're going to see four signs of hypocrisy that actually apply to both of these types of hypocrites. Each one applies differently to both of these types of hypocrites. And so our concern is more the latter. And so another point to consider when we go through these, I don't want you to think, oh, this is exactly like my friend such and such. No, you're not looking for signs of hypocrisy in somebody else. Your concern is, is this describing you? Literally, I've had undergrads where I've had this class and we've gone through hypocrites and then an undergrad goes to her roommate and says, I think you're a hypocrite, right? Okay, that's not the point of, of this. <laughs> that's literally almost the opposite of, of the goal here. It's for us to look at ourselves. So looking at Aya 8 through 16, starting with Aya 8. Aya 8 through 10 go together. There are those among the people who say, we believe in God in the last day. But they do not really believe. They seek to deceive Allah and the believers, but they only deceive themselves and they don't realize it. This is also a point you're going to see over and over again, that this type of hypocrite, they don't realize what they're doing. There is a disease in their hearts to which Allah adds more agonizing torment waits for them for their persistent lying. So the first attribute here, the first behavior is persistent lying. So hypocrisy. Let's give it a different color. I is 8 through 10. What is the external behavior? Let's change this. The behavior is lying. That's one element of the behavior. Another element of the behavior that we find over and over again is that they keep talking about themselves. We believe. We're going to see this in Ayah 11. We are only putting things right. We're going to see it in Ayah 13. Should we believe as the fools believe in Ayah 15 or Ayah 14? We are with you. We were just joking. We were mocking them. And so another attribute. So we're going to list individual attributes or behaviors and ongoing So one is focus on the self. But what is the internal condition? The internal condition is a diseased heart. There is a disease in the hearts to which Allah adds more. 
Now, if somebody in your family comes along and says, the doctor told me I have heart disease, don't say, aha, I knew it, you're a hypocrite. No, no, don't do that because that's not correct. That's a, that's the physical heart, not the spiritual heart. Okay, so uh, first question, why do people tell lies? Depends. Some do it for, you can have different reasons. Some do it compulsively. Some do it for personal gain. Some do it out of fear. Mm-hmm. Others can sometimes actually tell lies more for a good reason or a good intention. Um, like for ex- like the, the easiest example I can think of is if like my mother or my sister were to ask me if something looks good on them and I don't really think so, but I know that they'd feel hurt if I were to say no, I'd just say yes, because it's like saying the truth in this particular case, I feel causes more harm than good, if that makes any sense. So what I would suggest in those moments is go, huh, hello, hello, and then just run out of the room. You know, no lying needs is necessary. Yeah. So just about every lie you can think of, even if it might have justification, comes down to one of two reasons. Either you're avoiding detriment or you're you're seeking to gain benefit. So uh, someone lies on their resume, so they get the job, so they get a higher salary. Or someone, why didn't, uh, you know, why didn't you do your homework? Uh, because uh, I did it, but I left it at home. They're avoiding getting punished. And even, you know, in your case, Mustafa, of do I look good in this outfit where they might look heinously nasty in the outfit? Uh, you might be avoiding the detriment, you know, of making them upset or disappointed, hurting their feelings, or perhaps gaining the benefit of making them happy. You know, just about every lie falls into this or that. If this is true, Next question, is lying shirk? Let me walk you through the logic. In the moment, I tell you a lie, your reaction to me, your ability to reward or punish me is more important to me than Allah rewarding or punishing me. So in that moment, is it that I've put you above Allah for me? And thus is that shirk polytheism what do y'all think when you frame it this way yes okay and your thoughts chat box people vocal people anyone it's like everyone is elsewhere I just wanted to say that, like, um, yes, if yes, assalamu alaikum. I was gonna say that, like, um, my goodness, I feel like when you think about it that way, it's like, uh, put me on the list of you know, <laughs> people who do this because you know, it's like these small things, you know, or it's like you're, you know, the consequence of like telling the truth might be like very, very much so detrimental, okay. Okay, like, you know what it is? I feel like um, sometimes it's like, 
I don't know. It's like, you can get into your head about this, but it's like, you know, like um, when you're trying to avoid being in the company of certain people and you're like, maybe not telling the truth, but you're like, yeah, I'm busy. Yeah. I'm busy. Do you know, like this type of thing? Cause you're like, your company does not make me a good person. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't want to feel this way. And it's like, I've given it many years and it's now come to a point where I cannot take this, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like we have to like remove those. And it's like, I don't know how to deal with this because on some level, I feel like people sometimes who have like a toxicity and maybe they take out, they bring up, bring on your toxicity. Like it's like, they're also um, the people who need companionship, love and forgiveness and patience the most. But once it starts impinging upon our own well-being, you know, and the way that you're thinking and the way that you're behaving and your time for doing the things that like, you know, how you were saying we have to fulfill the rights upon like the rights that we are given by God, you know, or like the, uh, sorry, the responsibilities, right? When it starts impinging upon that stuff, what do you do? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. So those yeah, are talking about more about the, those, those bigger complex things. Let's come back to that in a moment. Uh, yes. But, you know, I have no problem just dropping people. Uh, Mustafa. <laughs> um, wasn't there also a hadith about like um, lying in the process of reconciling people, in sure. which it's described as not being a lie? So I think the definition of a lie is also something that we kind of probably need to establish. Okay, so so let's speak first in the context of untruths that I have no compulsion, uh, but in the moment, I just want to gain some benefit. Let's say I have a good job already, but I want to get higher pay. So I apply for this other job and I lie about how much I'm getting paid, right? Or the worst I'm going to get in trouble is I'm going to lose points in class. And so I lie to the teacher and say, yeah, my homework was done, but my computer crashed. But the worst that's going to happen is I'm going to lose points. Nothing that serious, of course, for an undergrad, that might seem like the most serious thing in the world, is that shirk in those moments. Sadia. Um, You don't remember? Huh? You don't remember from taking this class 300 times? Um, I kind of do because I think that uh, we we discussed that it's it can be a sin, not shirk. Oh yes, excellent, mashallah. So yeah. yeah. So the answer is that this is not shirk. Shirk is only what Allah Taala defines as, as shirk. You can't do shirk by analogy. You can identify things as sin by way of analogy. But shirk is only what Allah, by way of the Prophet, peace be upon him, is telling us is shirk. So even if I can make something look and sound exactly like shirk, doesn't make it shirk. Analogy can be used to determine if something is a sin. So, for example, in the case of drinking, what specifically is banned in the Quran? Anybody? And, oh, Approaching fire while drunk. Uh, but what specifically to drink is banned? And alcohol is the wrong answer. Uh, Hummer. 
What is Hamar at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him? Uh, I think it's wine, if memory serves. Yeah, Hamar is grape wine at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him. So technically, is beer included in that? No, beer is fundamentally different than grape wine. Uh, but then when we look at why Hamar is, is prohibited, because you lose your control of your thinking, and then by extension, you may lose control of your actions, that which causes intoxication then becomes prohibited, which then by it means essentially all other alcohols. Uh, but what if you have an alcoholic product like a cologne or a perfume? You're not drinking it, but you're applying it. Is that prohibited? As far as I'm aware, uh, like on the skin or external use doesn't get you drunk. So the answer would be no. Sure. And so, I think Khaled ibn al-Walid was actually accused of like um, alcohol consumption because of that, because he actually used to sometimes bathe in, um, I think it was Khumf. Uh, I mean, I could, I could picture him doing, yeah. Because of its... Uh, because he'd get wounded a lot, and alcohol was one of the ways to disinfect. Mm, Strictly speaking, for external purposes, mm -hmm. people accused him of drinking, despite the fact that he didn't. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the story. Much very interesting. So, and for med medical purposes, all the rules become very different. Education, medicine kind of changes the rules anyway. Now, the Quran speaks of, just to finish that topic, the Quran speaks of grape wine as the filth of shaitan. So if wine is being poured on my head, I would still have to, I would have to redo wudu. If beer is being poured on my head, no. If cologne is being poured upon me, no. Uh, but if I drink intoxicants, yes, I have to not do redo wudu. Those are banned. And, and so again, the point is that there's a lot of things mentioned in the Quran that we would then say, are prohibited by way of analogy. Theological matters, matters of belief, which is where you would find shirk, you don't use analogy. Because by extension, then all sins, you can then argue are shirk. Okay, so lying is definitely not shirk. Lying is a sin. That's the category of sin. Okay, any questions about that so far? Then bringing us to Ayah 12, no, sorry, Ayah 11 and 12, the next attribute of the people of Taqwa, when it is said to them, do not cause mischief in the world, they say, indeed, 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 we are reformers. We're fixing things. Uh, definitely not. They are corruptors, even though they can't, they don't realize it. This attribute or this behavior is a bit more subtle in trying to explain what are they doing here? They are deflecting criticism. That they're being told, don't cause corruption in the world. No, 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 they're not even listening. We're actually fixing things. And so think about this in the context of when you receive criticism, the goal you want to reach with criticism 
is you regard all criticism as constructive. Which then means your goal is also to be the best version of you you can be. So you actually want all criticism you can possibly get. But it doesn't mean you agree with it, but you do consider it. Because it could be that the person who's giving you criticism is just spewing nonsense. And so <clears throat> this is a goal. Uh, but in the case of hypocrisy, they just deflect the, critic the criticisms. So. Okay. Next attribute of the people of hypocrisy. When it is said to them, believe as the others believe. Amenu kama amananas. They say, shall we believe as the fools believe? But they're the fools and they don't even know it. So this you can describe two ways. What is the essential trait here? Anyone? Uh, lack of self-awareness would be one sure that would be, that would be definitely part of it but just in terms of how they look at the people as a bunch of fools how would you describe this they look down on others they yeah so it's a type of arrogance so here another attribute and we're going to describe it two ways arrogance as well as devaluing the community. What is arrogance? If you were to describe arrogance, what is it? So ingratitude would be a cause of arrogance. And it's on the right track. So uh, a con, a con, a part of it is that you don't accept truth. Yes, uh, most of all, what were you going to say? Like evaluating oneself incorrectly as being above others or higher sure. one actually is. So the act of arrogance, kibur, is to inflate your own worth higher than it is. What is the cause of arrogance? So arrogance is basically to make yourself higher. And thus perhaps you look down on others or you look down on something. But what causes arrogance? So for example, Shaitan, the accursed devil, Iblis, he hid behind arrogance. And then when Allah asked him, why don't you do the prostration? I'm better than him. You created me from fire. You created him from clay. Yeah, Mustafa. Would it be envy? Yeah, he was jealous. He was jealous that Allah chose man or humans to be his khalifa. And the devil, the person who became the devil, the jinn who became the devil, felt it should have been himself. He established peace among warring factions of jinns. He, there's not a spot in the world where he did not do sajda to Allah. And think about it. When I'm imagining this, I'm not just imagining doing sajda on the ground. We're talking about jinns. Every level in the air, he's also done sajda to Allah. So where you and I are all each sitting, he's done sajda to Allah there. He's prostrated to Allah, but refused 
that one prostration. Okay. And even we could say that one prostration wasn't even assigned to him, it was assigned to the angels, but he even refused to do that. So the formula is what? You have, as, uh, as Sadi mentioned, some sort of insecurity, some sort of inferiority, often driven by jealousy, and you overcompensate it with this, infl with this inflated sense of your self-worth. Every supremacist ideology, white supremacy, white supremacism, Muslim supremacy, Christian supremacy, Zionist, you know, uh, Hindu, whatever, they're all inferiority complexes, mutual collective inferiority complexes. The current masculinity movement is very much an inferiority complex, overcompensating with gigantic muscles and dominating personalities and such. And so arrogance starts with this feeling of inferiority. Then it, re it reaches this point of a feeling of superiority. And then in this context, you devalue the community. Sounds like a fear of something being exposed that they want to keep hidden. Yeah, that they're hiding from themselves. This is very akin to the story of the fox and the grapes, Aesop's fables, that you have the fox that is jumping, trying to reach these grapes, keeps jumping, gives up, and says, ah, they're probably sour anyway. The fox didn't want to face the fact that it just couldn't jump high enough to reach the grapes. Devaluing the community, the second point, another point to consider <clears throat> is that we are all mirrors of each other. And when you look at the ummah, what you see in the ummah reflects yourself very often more than the ummah. Because the representative sample that we're calling the Ummah is a very large population that has everything in it. So if you look down on the Ummah as a bunch of fools, as this ayah is saying this, you're actually the fool. That's just, you just happen to notice the fools in the Ummah. If you see the Ummah as a bunch of corrupt people who are lazy, that's more a statement about your own heart. Because, yes, we have those people in the Ummah, but we also have people who are very humble, who work very hard, who are very honest. And so what you see in the Ummah, what you see as the Ummah, is a reflection of, the, of your heart. And you control this. So if you change your perspective on the Ummah, you're also changing your perspective on your heart. So let's say I look at the Ummah as all these unreliable, horrible, corrupt people, dishonest, blah, blah, blah. That's making a statement more about myself. That's what I'm noticing in the Ummah. But if I shift to looking at the Ummah as people of humility and deep value, I will also find proof of that. And that will also start turning my heart around. Mustafa. How does that play into countries, nations, or governments? So governments is a different thing. Our default with governments uh, should be skepticism. <laughs> I think it may be a little bit too happy. Too quick. I was going to be, I was going to be very troubled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So a way to think about it is for a regular person, you were taught, you give them 70 excuses, right? 
with a person who is the head of a government, you give them 70 skepticisms. <laughs> so you probably have like a, a Rabia poster somewhere in the in your in your office somewhere over there. You know. So so yeah, when I was in Cairo, uh, we drove by the the that masjid and uh, the guys we were with said that the government's planning to tear down the masjid and build something else there to make it essentially to make people forget but that is Rabia. So so the point here is your default should be to value the community. To really work through the whole formula of value. And by value, I'm using this term generally, like the type of esteem you give, the type of attention you give. Uh, yeah. Well, that might be too big. Uh, the type of esteem you give to the community, the type of, of devotion, essentially I'm saying the type of love you give, the amount of love you give. So our goal is to have such love of Allah, the goal is to have such love of Allah that we're happy with whatever he gives us. Okay, that's a high state, which means you're happy when he gives you prosperity, you're also happy when he gives you difficulty. The difficulty still hurts, but you know Allah is giving it to you out of love. Not unlike the common example of parents giving medicine to their child, the child is kicking and screaming. You know. If that is too hard, then you try to develop love for those whom Allah loves, which is the Prophet, peace be upon him, or the awliya, the walis of Allah. The problem there is it may be hard to figure out how to have love for the Prophet, peace be upon him, because he's far away physically and temporally, right? He's from 1400 years ago. You can go to the Rauda in Medina and be in his presence, but it still might be hard. The awliya, the walis of Allah, it might be hard to identify who they are. So then you see, if you can develop love for those whom they loved, which would be the Sahaba and the family of the Prophet, peace be upon him. For example, is there a companion you specifically love? Right. Anybody have a companion they specifically love? Zubair ibn Awim. Interesting. Why? That's very fascinating. Um, I mean, multiple reasons, but to sum it up, it would be both his bravery and humility. Mm. I feel like the, those were traits that he excelled in. And I do love like um, Abu Bakr, Omar, Othman, and Ali, as well as countless others. But like out of all of them, I feel like there's just I don't know, there, there are different stories that I'd read of him that just, like, touch me personally sure. in a way that the others don't. So as much yeah. as I love them and I respect them, it, it just doesn't hit me as personally as he does. Very much so. Nice. Anyone else? Anyone else have some companions that you especially love? 
faucet, you got to have somebody. It's probably Khalid bin Walid, yeah. I mean, yeah. Khalid bin Walid, Barab bin Malik, yeah. and obviously the, you know, Omar bin Khattab. Um, yeah, I'm thinking there's some more. Sure. Okay, thank you, Sifullah. Nice, mashallah. Sayfullah, Khalid bin Walid. Okay, yeah. And so uh, Abu Huraira, Abu Huraira was a companion. Uh, he was just a companion at the at the very end. Borak, yeah, that's cool to identify Borak as a companion. Never thought about that one. That That's very, very interesting. Yeah. And if that's too hard, because again, they're from far away, then you love the Ummah. And the Ummah is right in front of you. And so uh, the point is that if I have trouble developing love for Allah, and then those whom Allah loves, then those whom love those whom Allah loves, who do they love? And the lowest on that is the Ummah, not in terms of value, but the fact is that you seek to develop love for the Ummah as a way then to develop love for the companions and the Prophet's family as a way to develop love for the Prophet, peace be upon him, which then is a way to develop, develop love for Allah. But the key point I'm mentioning is how you look at the Ummah is your choice. You may not realize you're making this choice, but you've made a choice on how to look at the Ummah, and that's a choice you can change if it is something to improve. So you want to value the Ummah, a sign of hypocrisy is devaluing the ummah. Hey, any questions about all this? All righty. Tomorrow, inshallah, we will do ayah 15, the fourth attribute, and then we will do ayah 16, which is sort of the summary of the attributes of the people of hypocrisy. But the last point I want to draw your attention to is that in hell... Hypocrites are going to be in a lower, more painful hell than goffers, which is a scary concept. Alrighty, no other last questions, thoughts, reflections. We will stop right here then. Mustafa, it looks like you're about to say something or type something. I was going to ask you uh, if you have a favorite companion. I mean, mine is one that I'm named after, right? You know. Okay. You know <laughs> Part of it uh, is part of my appreciation for the Prophet, peace be upon him, is that if he can juggle, you know, people, all these gigantic personalities, you know, think of how big the personalities of Abu Bakr, Omar, Uthman, Ali alone are, you know, add Aisha, Umar Salama, so forth and so on. These are people with big personalities. If he can lead all of them to be focused in the same direction, that is another element of his own greatness. But if he can tame, for lack of a better term, Omar ibn al-Khattab, right, uh, with all of his edges, then uh, that's uh, uh, that's also a, a good sign for me, too. So a hopeful sign for me. So. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections? All righty. Then we will stop right here, inshallah, and we will continue tomorrow. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk may Allah reward you all inshallah wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh